All right, if you would uh, turn your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. And uh, we're going to read this morning from verse 12 through verse 19. So that's 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through verse 19. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's, Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer as, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. That's the word of the Lord. Amen. So this is, uh, this will be Second time that we are uh, that I'm preaching on suffering within um, this letter, and when I say when I'm preaching on it, when it's the main focus of the sermon, um, this will be the second time, and and this is a a summation of of the topic of suffering in the book of First Peter. Uh, so this is the last time it's going to be mentioned, and uh, it's a blessing when Peter discusses it now and teaches on it now. Uh, it, it brings great encouragement to, to us, those who are in Christ, and to know that God is watching out over our lives, even in the midst of suffering. And I think that verse 12 is very interesting. Um, that's the very first verse that we read, because it says, Beloved, it says, do not be surprised. I think many of us are surprised when something is not going as planned in our lives. Uh, we, 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 we do become surprised, and, and sometimes that, that being surprised turns into fear. Uh, but Peter says, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. I, I love how he uses that adjective and talks about how the trial is not just a simple trial, but it's a fiery one that means it's intense. It's not something that is easily uh, overcome. It's not something that is, uh, that is easy to go through. But then he says, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. I think that's really interesting as well. That means there's a point to our suffering. And if there's a point to our suffering, that means there's a purpose to it. There's a purpose to it. There means there's, that means there's somebody behind it. And when we peel back all the different layers and when we pull back the curtain and we look at our suffering, we see God behind it all. And it's a beautiful thing. It's not a mean thing. It's not a scary thing. It's actually a beautiful thing to see God back there behind our suffering. And that's what I, I hope that you, you hear from Peter's words today and also from, from my preaching um, 
every story of suffering in the Bible is a result of the will of God. I, I, don't, I want to make that distinction right now. I don't want us to separate the will of God from suffering. I, I, we, we do a, a misjustice to God when we do that. So when we look through all the stories in the Bible, all these stories that bring encouragement to us, that bring hope to us, all these stories that, that have led us to repentance, we, we look at these stories and we're like, wow, that person suffered so much. God was behind it all. And it's no different for us. See, these stories teach us something important about God, but also they teach us something important about ourselves. And here's the main thing. Suffering happens for our good and for God's glory. That's what the Bible shows us through many, many uh, stories of personal suffering. And the suffering we see in 1 Peter is no different. We see it that it runs throughout the whole letter. Listen to some of these verses where suffering is mentioned. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. For this is a gracious thing. Keep that in mind. This is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Then we have... 1 Peter 3, 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. In the same chapter, verse 17, we see that it says, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. And then we see 1 Peter 4, 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. From these passages here, we can see that the point is that Christians should expect to suffer, but in the midst of suffering, we should strive to suffer for doing good rather than doing evil. We must also be mindful of God while we're suffering, especially when it's unjust. Because when we do this, Christians follow the example of Christ who responded perfectly to his suffering. And let me tell you, it was unjust. He had no sin. He suffered like he did. 1 Peter 2.23 says, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. I like that verse because it sounds a lot like the verse, the main verse we're going to speak on today, and that is verse uh, 19, 1 Peter 4, 19. When it talks about Christ, it says that Christ, it says that he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. In 1 Peter 4, 19, we are told to entrust our souls to a faithful creator while doing good. When Peter said that we should follow the example of Christ, he meant it. And this is a great example here. All this talk about suffering, it made sense in Peter's letter. We've already talked to you about 
the, the great suffering these people have endured. Peter was writing to people who had witnessed horrible suffering and they themselves were being persecuted because of Christ. They were being persecuted and they were suffering because of their faith and their bond and their tie to Christ. And what's extremely evident in all of this and all this suffering was that it was taking place under, under the providential hand of God. God was in control of it. He brought it or allowed it, however you want to put it. In other words, their suffering happened according to God's will. And we're no different today. We're no different. Our suffering happens according to God's will. And the reason why we can come to that conclusion is because we say God is sovereign. Well, if God is sovereign, we cannot remove his sovereignty from him just when things are going bad in our lives. That's, sometimes we tend to do that. We, we, we preach and proclaim that God is sovereign, then all of a sudden something bad happens and we're like, that devil, that devil did it to me. And somehow the devil, who is not sovereign, becomes just as strong or more powerful than God because he is able to have this over you and God can't do anything about it. So we cannot, even in the roughest, darkest times of our lives, we cannot remove God's sovereignty. He is sovereign over our suffering. Because if we could do that to God, then he wouldn't be God. We must acknowledge that human suffering, even when unjust, is under the sovereign control of God. But at the same time, and here's our sermon summary, at the same time, it's going to sound a lot like verse 19. While enduring suffering, Christians, we are to entrust our fate to God who is faithful. While enduring suffering, Christians are to entrust their faith to God who is faithful. I feel like we have to point out something very important because I don't want anybody getting confused by what I'm saying when I say God uh, is sovereign over suffering. I'm not saying it is God's fault. That's important. That's first and foremost. It's important that we realize that God is not at fault for our suffering. Because when the topic of God's sovereignty over suffering comes up, people think that means we can blame God. They think they have an outlet. Oh, I'm suffering, so if he's sovereign over it, then, then I'm going to point the finger at him. I would not advise that. I would not advise you pointing any finger at God unless you're praising him and telling him how wonderful he is. He cannot be blamed for our suffering. The gospel truth is that we cannot and must not ever blame God for anything bad. Because when we place blame on someone, that is to assign them the responsibility, uh, to assign them a, a, a fault, excuse me, to assign responsibility to them for a fault or a wrong. In other words, we're looking at them and saying, this is the reason why, uh, you're the reason why this is happening to me. Well, if we understand the Bible and we understand what the Bible says about God, the Bible says God has no faults and he does no wrong. So the only person who has faults 
and does wrong is us. So we can't blame God for what we're going through. We can't blame him for the trouble that's in our lives. We can't blame him for the suffering, even if it's unjust, because he has no fault and he does no wrong. If we are going to place blame on anyone, we must look to the man in the mirror. We are responsible for our suffering because we have sinned against God. Paul explains it perfectly. Romans 5, 12, he says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, speaking of Adam, and death through sin, death is a representation of suffering, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. That's a great explanation of it. I love how Paul is just so precise. Just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. This tells us the source of suffering is sin, and we are all guilty of sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, all of humanity fell into sin with them, and suffering spread to all men. And according to the Bible, God is not responsible and is not to be blamed for suffering. Rather, suffering is a condition of a fallen world that none of us can avoid. It touches all of us. We cannot run from it. We cannot avoid it. We're all going to have to deal with it. The Bible says that it is through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. But there's good news. I know that sounds pretty harsh, but there's good news. And the good news is that in Christ, God graciously redeemed suffering for us. You notice what I said? I said, in Christ, he redeemed suffering for us. And he did this to bring about his desired will through those who are his. Those who are his. And when I say that, I mean those who believe in him, those who trust in him as their savior. That is the good news of the gospel, that God redeems suffering. You may be saying, how can suffering be redeemed? How can it be made or seen as good? Well, the only way suffering can be seen as good is if you belong to Christ. That's that's the only way it could be seen as good. Christ changes suffering for us. I'll make it personal. Christ changes suffering for you. 1 Peter 4, 13-14 Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings so that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. As I said, the suffering we endure, even if it's unjust, Christ has redeemed it for us to fulfill his purpose and his will. So as we look at this, for those who are in Christ, what the enemy meant for evil, God turned to good. And God graciously redeemed suffering for his children to the point that suffering, it now has a bit in its mouth. It is controlled by God, and God manipulates it to bring about his desired will in our lives. There's a psalm that says, oh, how abundant is your goodness, 
which you have stored up for those who fear you and work for those who take refuge in you. That's Psalm 31, verse 19. As I said, that's the good news for those who are in Christ. But then we have the other part of the equation for those who are not in Christ, for those who have not trusted in the Lord. Suffering has not been redeemed. Suffering is only a precursor to the wrath they will face for eternity after they are judged. For those who are not in Christ, they have no hope beyond suffering in this world. Think about that for a second. You have hope. You endure sickness. You endure trials. You endure persecution. You endure all these things that the world throws at you. You endure it, but at the end, you have hope. But only because you are in Christ. Those who are not in Christ, all they have is suffering. All they have is pain. All they have is loss. There is no hope. How sad a state they are in. But you, you are in Christ. That is a glorious and wonderful thing. The Bible asks a piercing question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Paul Paul says, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wonderful thing to belong to God. Count your blessings while you're suffering. Because in Christ, it has been redeemed. I started thinking through all this, and I wanted to give some just solid reasons. I wanted to end the sermon with some solid reasons with, on how we can entrust our faith to God while suffering. Because verse 19 just really struck a chord with me. As I looked at that, I just... It just, it, it, I wrestled with it. Peter's telling us to, to trust God in our suffering. But the wrestling part is that the fact is, is that it's according to his will. So God is in control of something that is going on in your life. It's not pleasant. But Peter is saying we need to trust him in it. We need to recognize it's not his fault, we're to blame, and that it, we're in Christ, so this suffering has been redeemed. That means there's a purpose behind it, but yet it still is not pleasant, and we are told to trust our faith with the God who is faithful. That was, that was some wrestling there. I hope you're going through some of the same wrestling I went through. started thinking of, how and why should we trust God while enduring suffering according to his will? The best my feeble mind could do is five good reasons. I guess five because, oh, I'm sure there's a whole lot more. 
But I guess five, because it's easier for us to remember these things as we leave this place. I would count these as five general things. Y'all know me, y'all hear me preach week in, week out. I usually don't do like a top ten list or a top five list or a top three list. But I felt like this would break it down very simple for us, help us to understand why we should trust God while suffering. Reason number one is because Christ has already suffered the worst suffering for us. That's why we can trust God. I had to start with Christ. So I started thinking about how can I trust God? Well, Christ just came to mind. And his suffering and the suffering he did for us. And how we are called to follow in his footsteps. We are called to suffer because Christ also suffered. But there is a big difference between our suffering and the suffering that Christ endured. And the big difference between the two is that your suffering, the suffering you experience, is in the light of God's grace. He's redeemed it for you. He's controlling it for you. He's, he's manipulated it. He's doing everything that he needs to do so that it, it brings about good and his will. So your suffering, again, is in the light of God's grace, but the suffering Christ experienced was in the light of God's wrath. Huge difference. Thank God Almighty we do not have to suffer the way Christ suffered. The Bible says that he bore our sins that we might die to sin. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. By his wounds we are healed. Obviously he suffered a greater portion. We are told to follow in his footsteps. We are told to suffer as Christ suffered. While he suffered, he committed no sin and he had no deceit. He was reviled but did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten as we talked about earlier. Instead, he entrusted himself to the Father. I think that's an important point that we can trust God in our suffering because Christ Christ suffered first. And much more than we could ever, ever imagine. Second, we can trust God in our suffering because he has promised to help us in our time of need. He has promised to help us in our time of need. Since we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, and the Bible says that we stand in his grace, God has made it possible that we can rejoice in our sufferings. We have heard it throughout this whole letter to rejoice, to count it a benefit, that we are blessed when we suffer in the name of Christ. We can do that knowing that suffering produces endurance. I love that, that there's actually help for us. Suffering produces endurance. It's bringing about something in our lives. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And the Bible says that hope does not put us to shame. 
All this is possible because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. And it, he has done this through the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a helper. So in our trial, in our suffering, we have, we have the Holy Spirit. He is our helper. Knowing that we have the Holy Spirit as a helper from the Lord, that should give us peace. We're not going about this our own. But we have somebody who is walking along with us, who is nourishing us, who is helping us, who is encouraging us, who is picking us up when we fall. Third reason, we should trust God while suffering because he knows exactly how much suffering we need. I want to say that again. He knows how much suffering we need. You catch that emphasis? God has given us the Holy Spirit, the Bible talks about, in jars of clay. That's talking about us, these vessels, these vessels of jars of clay. You imagine jars of clay and how fragile they are. You drop them and they just break to pieces. You've got to be very soft with them. You've got to place them in different places where not a lot of traffic, make sure they don't get knocked over. You handle it too hard, it's just going to break. That's a picture of us. But God has placed his Holy Spirit in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And the suffering he providentially allows us to suffer. The Bible tells us that it afflicts us in every way. But it does not crush us. I think that's amazing. When it says it afflicts us, that means it's difficult. But we need it. That means it's harsh. That means it's fiery. That means it's intense. But God knows how to afflict us. He afflicts us in every way, but does not crush us. It says that we are perplexed, but we are not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but God never, ever, ever forsakes us. We are struck down, but we are never destroyed. He knows exactly how much suffering we need. Therefore, we can trust him when we're suffering according to his will. Fourth thing. We can trust God while suffering according to his will because he has promised to use our suffering for good. And his glory. Romans 8, 28. Pastor Laramie read it earlier in our service. For we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. We know this because God has determined the end from the beginning. The scripture says those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. In other words, it's all been done. It's been done. We're living, we're living it, it, but it's been done. God in his sovereign will predestined 
your salvation. He predestined your existence. Then he called you, as the scripture says, he called you from darkness to light. And then he justified you. He made you right through the blood of Christ. And the wonderful thing about that is that he justified you, but he's going to keep you with him all the way to the end to the point you are glorified. It's done. The suffering you endure, it will not change that. It is for good and his glory. It doesn't matter how unjust it is. The ultimate end is for good and his glory. And the wonderful thing about that is that that means, and, and notice, I'm, I'm saying for good and his glory. I, I've quit saying for your good and his glory. But it's just for good. It's for God's good. And the suffering you're enduring right now, yeah, it may not be benefiting you. But if it's, it is benefiting somebody. Somebody's watching you as you suffer. And their faith is being built up by God because they see you endure. Somebody has decided to serve because they saw that you had a need. Your suffering brings about all kinds of good. And when all kinds of good is brought out, then God is glorified. And the fifth reason why we should entrust our soul to God or entrust our fate to God while we are suffering according to his will. It's because the suffering we endure now are the sufferings we endure now are momentary and light in comparison to what he has in store for us in Christ. This is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. The Bible tells us that we are not to lose heart because our light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I read that passage and it brings hope to my heart because, listen, I'm with you. What you suffer, what we suffer, what others suffer, it doesn't feel light and it doesn't feel momentary. But we cannot, we cannot see eternity clearly. We, we can only see what we've lived. We can only comprehend what we know. But we serve a God who not only knows all things, but he is sovereign over all things. And he is the one who is telling you. He has seen the, the, the end from the beginning. He has seen it all. He's the one who is telling you that you're your trouble is light and momentary. Trust him in that. It's light and momentary. Therefore, 1 Corinthians 15, 58 tells us, we must be steadfast. We must be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing 
that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. No matter what we go through here, the Lord has already won the battle. That's why he says, in this world you will have suffering, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We need to trust him that our, our suffering is light and momentary. You know, a good way to do that is to get involved in other people's lives. That's always such a blessing because the moment I start to feel sorry for myself and my own condition and whatever it is that, that, that's going on, as I get close to other people, I realize I'm blessed. To me, the suffering may seem like, like the world's going to end. It's just too tough to get over. But once I begin to see the sufferings of my other brothers and sisters in Christ, I begin to understand that it's light and momentary affliction. We need to know that our, what we do and what we do for the Lord, that labor is not in vain. In life, we need to realize that there is a definite end and an ultimate purpose to our suffering. We need to acknowledge that God is sovereign over that. And that is a wonderful and beautiful thing that he is. When we begin to realize those things, then we can look at the life of the apostles and it doesn't seem so strange that whenever they endured persecution or whenever beaten or when, when others they knew were killed, that they went about rejoicing in the Lord. It doesn't seem as strange because they knew what we're learning today. They knew that no matter what happened, they could entrust their faith to a God who was faithful. Even while enduring the harshest persecution. God was going to finish his work in them. We need to trust God and believe the same thing. Let us pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your word and the encouragement it brings to us. Father, we, we must not just think about ourselves when we hear this sermon, but we must think of your church, your universal church, and the suffering that it endures throughout the world. We have a lot of freedoms here in this, this wonderful country that you have placed us in where we can come and worship you freely. But that's the way it is now, and we thank you for that. may not always be that way, but we're going to trust you through it no matter what happens. Our prayer this morning are for those in other countries and other places where it is illegal to be a Christian, where people are locked up, beaten, things taken from them, and even killed for their, their faith in Christ. Our prayer this morning goes first and foremost to them. We pray, Father, that through their wonderful sacrifices, and their sufferings, that the aroma of Christ will be spread throughout wherever they are ministering, and people will come in droves, and they will accept the gospel. They will believe in the gospel and repent of their sins. But we do pray for ourselves, Father, that
in the light of our suffering that we must remember that it's light and momentary and that it does have an end and a purpose. Help us to celebrate the fact that you, you Lord, are behind it. You are using it for good and for your glory. As we trust you in our suffering, we pray that you grow us, Father, that we may become more mature Christians, looking to serve you in different ways, to proclaim your goodness and your mercies, because you, you fill our, our cup over with them. Father, continue to build up hope in us, help us to help each other, and to keep in mind that as we labor, our labor is not in vain. It doesn't matter if it's not recognized here on this earth. It doesn't matter if our labor is not appreciated by anyone here on this earth. For we do not do it for the glory of man, our praises from man, but we do it to glorify you, Lord. Help us to always remember that. Father, we thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.